I'm Brian Scordato, and this is the Idea to Start a Podcast, a podcast that's been called, quote, easily 10 times more useful than my MBA, which probably says more about higher education than our pod, but it was a nice review. We're going to start sending the pod along with some deeper content each week. So if you're a power listener of Idea to Startup, head to gettacklebox.beehive.com or the link in the show notes. Beehive is spelled a bit wildly. So it's gettacklebox.beehive.com. On to it. Today, we're going to talk about how to make sure your business has the potential to grow organically before you get too far down the road with it. This will work even if you're super early, like pre-product. It's actually a great exercise for when you're picking one out of a handful of ideas to pursue. Predicting whether an idea can grow organically is straightforward. It can be hard, but there's a path. And it's certainly easier than getting 15 months down the road with a business and realizing you're growing about as much as the fiddle leaf fig in the shady corner of my office that currently has one sad leaf just staring at me, judging. That fig tree is named Thelma. She's new. The other one, Louise, has been flourishing for almost a decade now, but if I'm being honest, it isn't looking so good for Thelma. This is what I categorize as a tough love episode. There aren't a ton of non-negotiables in the startup world these days. You can navigate around most blockers. I've said it before, there's probably never been a better time to start a business in human history. But if you can't grow organically early on, you're stuck. You won't be successful. There is not a path around it, and you probably shouldn't work on that business. We've just seen too many startups struggle to get customers excited enough to share early on, and if they're not excited, it leads the startup down a near-impossible road of paying for people to try something they aren't all that excited to try, and then hoping to pull useful product insights from those people. Attention is oxygen for startups. Everything else is downstream of it. Attention gives you the time you'll need to pivot and weasel your way into the right product for the right customer through the right channels at the right price. Attention gives you enough customers to run enough tests to get enough context to know what's working and what isn't. Attention is the key to it all. Startups are about weaseling, and without a consistent flow of cheap or free customers, there's no weaseling, and that is bad news. So we need to make sure the customer faucet can be turned on, that our earliest customers will tell other customers to kickstart our growth, that you have enough time and customer flow to weasel. Organic growth is a misunderstood and underutilized opportunity. This might sound weird because organic growth is organic, right? Meaning it just happens. We don't control it. You might have guessed from my tone that that is not exactly right. Lots of founders think organic growth is synonymous with the founder getting lucky. They do something for whatever reason that thing resonates and boom, the business grows. You've probably heard founders say things like, quote, we can't explain it. We just put the site live and boom, we got 10,000 signups on our waiting list the next day. These founders are full of shit or possibly the exception that proves the rule. And they say boom a lot. But the main point is organic growth isn't passive. It needs to be meticulously planned for, orchestrated, and it can and should start at the idea stage. I have been really into equations lately. Last week, we talked about the creativity equation, about making something that seems nebulous, creativity, straightforward and approachable. This week, I've got an equation I like even more. It's an organic growth equation. It'll help you think up and build out possible avenues for organic growth that you can test. It'll give you transparency into a type of growth that usually feels pretty opaque. 
I'm aware that a podcast maybe isn't the best medium for long, complex equations. I'll do my best to make it straightforward. And if you're on our super podcast listener list, which you can sign up for at gettacklebox.beehive.com, beehive with two I's and no E, and also put the link in the show notes, you can see the whole thing written out. But before we get to the equation, I want to respond to all the ruffians out there who heard this and thought, hey, I'll just pay for social ads and be fine. Or, hey, I'll just get influencers or something else equally stupid to spur on growth. No offense. My response to that is, no, you won't, because none of that works. Social ads no longer make financial sense for probably 95% of the companies that buy social ads. Since Apple changed their policy rules, it's nearly impossible to target any more accurately than my friend Jim when he plays darts, which is an inside joke, but just assume that he's really bad. Lots of big companies still have massive ad budgets that they deploy on social ads, but it's mostly because they already had the budget and the team in place when the rug got pulled out from under them, and it takes a really long time for a cruise ship to change direction. It's logistically easier to lose money on social ads than to change strategy. Inertia is a hell of a drug. Which means the prices of these ads are still inflated, but the targeting is awful. So for startups, it's prohibitively expensive and completely untargeted. Perfect. Influencers won't work for other reasons we'll actually get to in another pod, but for now, just know it's not sustainable or reliable when you start. The way you'll grow early on is by solving a problem for a customer that helps them make a status level jump that they simply need to tell other people about. There are a bunch of variables within that transaction that you can plan for, like when that moment occurs and who's there and what they do next, all of which we're going to talk about today. Here is the broader outline of our big equation. The likelihood of organic growth equals the characteristics of the problem you're solving, plus the behaviors of the customer you're solving it for, plus the thrust of your early solution, with a few multipliers that sit on top of those variables, general levers you can pull for things humans naturally share. We'll dig into each shortly. Your job will be to look at this equation and see where your business naturally fits. What combination of problem, customer, and product you'll need. You'll also need to think about ways to lean into some of the variables, how your product can amplify a moment or how your customer targeting can increase envy. Most importantly today, we're gonna talk about moments. Sharing is not a haphazard thing. It happens in specific, predictable moments that we'll need to identify and latch onto to optimize for. It's unlikely we'll be able to create any new moments, so we'll need to work with the ones that happen already. Okay, enough rambling. You get it. There's an equation. It's going to help you grow organically. So let's get to it. And to start, we'll need to talk about a TV show someone has almost certainly told you about in the past 14 days. We'll talk about why they told you about it and what that means for your startup after a little smooth jazz. If you've got a startup idea and a full-time job and want to test out the former before you leave the latter, come and work with us. Apply at gettacklebox.com. Over 400 startups have tested and built ideas through our program, and those businesses are now collectively worth over a billion dollars. Our program helps you prioritize and execute, and our members and me and the team keep you accountable and give you feedback along the way. Come build with us at gettacklebox.com. Back to it. Jury duty. In 2022, Amazon released a series called Lord of the Rings, The Rings of Power that you likely heard about but probably didn't watch. It cost about $50 million per episode to make, and while the data isn't publicly available, general consensus is it flopped. It certainly didn't break into the zeitgeist. 
2023, Amazon released the series we're going to talk about today, Jury Duty. It cost $2 million an episode to make, and you probably have watched it or plan to watch it. It's on track to be one of the biggest half-hour shows in the history of Prime Video and has a shot at being the biggest show at Amazon this year, period. It did break into the zeitgeist. Why? Why did Jury Duty work? Is it great acting, great plot, latching on to an existing movie or TV brand or franchise or big-name actors? Nope, none of those things. Jury Duty is successful because it is, either purposefully or as a result of a very happy accident, an absolute masterclass in why humans share. We'll get into my organic growth equation shortly, but a big thing to remember about organic growth is that people sharing a show or a product or a restaurant or a house on Zillow isn't, as I said earlier, a haphazard thing. Sharing happens in specific moments that are uniquely conducive to sharing specific things. And just as importantly, sharing doesn't happen outside of those moments. So organic growth requires two things. First, those shareable moments to exist, and second, for your customers to choose to share your product during them. For a TV show, the moments where people share happen frequently and predictably. I heard about Jury Duty three times before I watched it. The first was during Uncomfy Hour, when a Tacklebox member told me about it. Uncomfy Hours are basically virtual co-workings where some of our members meet on Zoom. It's a combo of accountability and a way to fight against the isolation most part-time solo founders feel. Subtle plug, sure, but they are pretty awesome. I'm writing this during one. Anyway, there's normally three to five minutes at the beginning before we start working where we make small talk as people join. When humans have situations like this, a few minutes to pass at the beginning of a meeting or on an elevator, or maybe when you're catching up with a friend but you haven't found the conversation's momentum yet, we tend to bring up light things that are likely to resonate. That usually means TV shows and movies, the weather, restaurants. The subconscious goal is to bring up something that'll be relevant to everyone. So during the first few minutes of Uncomfy Hour, someone inevitably asked, has anyone seen any good shows lately? And now we're in a moment. Everyone began racking their brains for the right show to suggest. In this scenario, the details of the show really matter. You don't want to suggest something too niche because it might not resonate and it might make you feel like an outsider and you definitely cannot risk that. You also don't want to risk something too complicated because then you'll need to explain it and that could make you look dumb and people might not get your explanation and people will do just about anything to avoid that type of discomfort. These internal conversations might be happening subconsciously, but they're happening. This moment, like every moment, is about inertia. What show will create thrust for the conversation? What show is easy to talk about and easy to understand? What is the least likely to create any tension or blowback? What will we all likely have the same reaction to? What can be digested quick? Someone piped up. I'm watching a show called Jury Duty, they said. It's on Amazon. Basically, there's a trial and everyone is an actor. The judge, the jury, the defendant, the prosecutor, except one guy who just thinks he's at regular jury duty. So all these scripted, wacky things happen, but this guy isn't in on the joke. He thinks it's real. The group started laughing. It was easy to understand and we all felt the same thing. The uneasy feeling of being that guy, the one the joke was on. Everyone on the Zoom jotted down the show's name so that we'd remember to watch it later. Jury duty is easy to describe in a compelling way and simple to digest on the other side. 
The arc is clear, as is the climax. It's all going to culminate at the end of the show when the judge will tell the one person who thought this was real that was actually fake. It's tension up until the moment, and the payoff is going to be satisfying. Humans love a big reveal. We love loops that get closed, and we talk about them. All four times someone told me about the show, they couldn't help but say something to the effect of, quote, and I'm not spoiling anything here, but at the end, the judge tells him it's fake and you just have to see his face. Every one of you could and might suggest this show now. It is that easy to grasp. What is the Lord of the Rings show about? Who knows? Half a billion dollars and months of ads later, and I have absolutely no clue. I couldn't talk about it if I wanted to. Three other people have shared jury duty with me, twice at dinners with friends and once at the DMV, which wasn't exactly shared with me, but I overheard two other people waiting and one of them was describing jury duty to the other. And I shared it once before this pod. My in-laws were spending the night a few days ago after watching The Little Guy for the day, and I suggested we put it on when the what should we watch question came up. Every time, the show has been described identically. The message travels. The value of jury duty isn't how good a show it is. It's actually not that good of a show. It's just how perfectly positioned it is to be shared. Any type of growth is just a giant game of telephone where you hope that your customers can pick up the most compelling thing about your product and tell other people about it. And if everyone says the same thing over and over, it'll break through. That is how you create a brand. Jury duty. It's a show about a guy who doesn't know he's on a show. Now let's get to the equation. The likelihood of organic growth and the crime triangle. At the heart of the organic sharing equation is, oddly, something called the crime triangle. I think I first heard about it from an old episode of Law & Order I watched like 20 years ago, but it stuck with me. Basically, the crime triangle is made up of desire, ability, and opportunity. Apparently, if you remove one of the three, the likelihood of a crime plummets. The core of the organic growth equation is oddly similar. For something to be shared, there needs to be a problem that's important enough that people share it, multiple customers together at the same time with the opportunity to share it, and a product that's easy to share and adopt. If one of those doesn't play nice, the likelihood of a share drops off a cliff. For my equation, I started with this skeleton and then looked over all the companies that have gone through Tacklebox and achieved some level of organic growth or not. Each category, problem, customer, product, started getting fleshed out with specific variables. Additionally, some multipliers emerged. Things that didn't fit neatly into problem or customer or product, but if they were in place, they could definitely juice the overall organic growth rate. Let's dive into each section with some startup examples sprinkled here and there like a funfetti cake, which I had a few weeks back at a birthday party for the first time in a few years, and what an absolute delight. Anyway, we'll start with the problem. There are three variables within the problem clause. Nope, I have no idea if clause is the right word, but we're sticking with it. The first variable under problem is titled importance. This one is simple. It's rare that anyone talks about a problem if it isn't one of the top three problems they're dealing with at any time. There may be specific moments where someone would be more likely to talk about a problem that isn't in their overall top three, and we can certainly plan for those. But the point of this equation is to maximize your chance of organic spread. And if the problem you're after isn't a top three problem to your customer, you've dealt your overall chances of success a massive blow. Solve problems that matter. 
Anything else, maybe counterintuitively, is too hard. People care about important problems. People are indifferent to their 10th biggest problem, and indifferent customers are picky customers or just not customers at all. The next variable is expense or urgency. This aligns with importance in that if a problem is expensive and urgent, it'll likely be important. The bigger piece here that leads to organic sharing is the specificity around cost and urgency. What is the problem costing your customer each day it isn't solved? If this is a metric you can wrap your arms around, it can be shareable. People pay to dig themselves out of holes, not to predict where holes will be and avoid them. If I'm losing $150 a day because my water tank is leaking, I'm going to scream to high heaven about finding a plumber. The expense and urgency of the problem leapfrog it up the importance scale. And if you can quantify it, it's going to get shared. Remember that. And once you've solved the problem for yourself, it is usually irresistible for humans to help other people not lose stuff. I remember during the early days of Honey, the coupon finding Chrome plugin, I had multiple friends tell me in one week that every time I was buying something without using Honey, I was literally losing money. Waze has somehow cornered the over 55 market, so every time you drive somewhere, your mom is going to tell you to make sure you Waze it so that you don't lose time in traffic. People share stuff that helps other people avoid losses or get out of holes. Humans love being useful. Build a product that lets them do that. Finally, frequency. This is a bit of an equalizer for the first two characteristics under the problem umbrella. If a problem isn't necessarily the most important or expensive or urgent problem a customer faces, but that problem comes up day after day, it's likely they're going to talk about it, unless it's so important that they're already numb to it. Frequency can make up for a lack of pain and urgency to a point. And when combined with those other variables, whoa, baby, have you got a stew going? Obviously, the specifics of the problem relate to the customer you're working with, and we'll get to that in the second clause. But I found that even starting high level and thinking of the scenarios where the problem is a top three priority or frequent or urgent will lead to better customer choice and a better understanding of the moments where people might be compelled to share. So that's the problem clause. The variables for that part of the equation are first, importance. Are you solving a top three problem? Second, urgency and expense. Is this problem expensive? Is the loss calculable? And is that loss increasing with each passing moment? And third, frequency. Does this problem happen a lot, giving the people with the problem a lot of chances to talk about it, leapfrogging it over some more painful and urgent problems on the importance rank? The next clause in the equation is customer. I think about this as the opportunity clause. All we're trying to do is choose a customer that increases the opportunity for our customers to talk. Which means the first variable we're going to talk about is cohesiveness. Is this a customer that bumps into each other a ton? Is it a customer that has a lot in common outside of the problem you're solving for them? So if I'm selling running software to triathletes, are these the same people who go to breweries? Do they work at the same places, live in the same places, bump into each other somewhere else I can be at? If I'm trying to sell accounting software to coffee shops and restaurants, it's really going to help me if those customers speak with each other a lot, specifically about the problem I'm solving, but also about other things as well. How many times a week will your customers bump into each other? How many places can you target where a big chunk of them are going to be? That is the first variable, cohesiveness. 
The next variable is competitiveness slash NV. And this is a measure of how much these customers look left and right before making decisions. The more they do, the better. I got my first taste of this back when I was building my first startup in 2006, a basketball recruiting marketplace that let high school players upload game film and college coaches scout them digitally. Both sides of the marketplace were ridiculously competitive and envy-driven. One of our first beta testers was a kid who was currently the best basketball player on the high school team I played at, and within a day of onboarding him, I had five emails from parents of other kids on that team asking to be onboarded too. And after chatting with the coach a few times at our first potential beta customer, Williams College, I had emails from Amherst and Emory in my inbox within the week because they simply couldn't let Williams get a recruiting edge. If you choose your customer, will they tell other customers about it, or will those customers find out? If another customer gets chosen, will the rest of the customer base want to be chosen too? The last variable under customer is similarity of expectations. If your customers all have the same expectations around what they want when a problem gets solved, they'll be more likely to talk about it. I have a few friends from business school who have done extremely well. When we hang out, we don't talk about what hotels we go to. My expectations of a great hotel are certainly not the same as theirs. If your customer's expectations are uniform, you dramatically increase the chances they talk about the problem and potential solutions. Similar expectations and reactions are important. I almost used a version of this instead of the jury duty story. Do you know what the highest ROI movies are? Meaning the movies that make the highest multiple on the money they spend? Horror movies. And it's not close. Of the 55 Hollywood movies that have ever earned back more than 20x their budget, 45% were horror movies, including Hollywood's most profitable movie ever in return terms, Paranormal Activity, which returned 1.3 million percent of its budget. Horror movies are shareable for a lot of reasons, but the biggest one is we're all confident we're going to have the same reaction to something terrifying. And we all know what that feels like. So it's easy to share and be confident the person you share it with will have the same experience you did. This is important. Separately and unrelatedly, horror movies are cheaper to make because we're more afraid of the monster we can't see than the monster we can. So the ones with the fewest special effects tend to be scarier. There is a life lesson in there somewhere. That is the customer clause. The variables for that part are cohesiveness. Are there a bunch of opportunities for your customers to bump into each other? Do they all have the same unique problem so the specificity of their need becomes a secret they all excitedly share and talk about? And are there built-in moments where they almost have to talk about the problem you're solving? Second, competitiveness slash envy. Will they proactively or even aggressively seek out what other customers in their space are doing to solve a key problem? And third, expectations. Do all the customers you're serving have similar value expectations, making it more likely they'll talk about problems because it'll be more likely the same solution would be good for all of them. The last core clause is product. There is a good chance you don't have a product just yet. So the way I think about this is that a product ideally amplifies the outcome you're creating or packages the outcome up into a story or a soundbite or a clear status level jump the customer can share. The first variable of product is that it makes the success of the company visual. Here is an example. 
An HR software company for startups actually has a really high product growth coefficient because implementing the software symbolizes a status level jump. It means you've hired people and you need a system for payroll and bonuses and option grants and sick days and health insurance. Startups have a lot of other organic growth multipliers, particularly the envy competitiveness thing, so sharing the status level jump happens a lot. So hiring an HR company might really be a, quote, we're successful beacon, particularly for a certain stage company, which will get shared. And picking the customers that just made a status level jump, then helping them show that jump is good sequencing. They'll be influential to adjacent customers that want to make that jump in the future. The next variable is more about the person being told about the product. I'm calling it minimal cognitive overhead. If a product is complicated to adopt, it isn't worth talking about because it isn't truly actionable. If it's simple, that becomes a talking point in and of itself. The product variables are simpler, and I don't want to spend as much time on them as I don't think they're as important at this stage. But if you can make a company's success visible, either through the outcome of your product or by elevating the customers that use it and remove as much friction as possible for the first use, it will be shareable. We'll spend more time on product next week. Finally, we've got the fun ones, the multipliers, the general things people share that'll amplify the rest of the right side of the equation if you nail them. First, status. If you help your customer make a status level jump, they will scream it from the rooftops. If you help them leave their peer group and join a new one, they're going to talk. This, obviously, is hard, but it's a better strategy to go after a small group of people where you can create this leap than a bigger group of people where you might not be able to. Status level jumps anchor companies. Second, counterintuitiveness, which isn't a word but should be. Counterintuitive things make people feel smart. Everyone thinks one thing, I know another. People love sharing things that make them seem smart. If you've got a counterintuitive secret, scream it from the rooftops. Don't hoard it. There's a physical therapist who basically says that every injury you've ever had would heal itself if you just learned to walk correctly. Everyone walks wrong, he says, which means our bodies can't heal. He will teach you how to walk, and it'll clear up your plantar fasciitis or hip discomfort or headaches. Counterintuitive and wildly shareable. Next is the ease of storytelling, or what I call the Pixar multiplier. If the story is easy to tell, like jury duty or the physical therapist that helps people walk, it'll grow. Ideally, it fits the old Pixar story format well. Once upon a time, there was blank. Every day, there was blank. One day, blank. Because of that, blank. Until finally, blank. The last multiplier is a trigger. Things that kick off the moments we've been talking about. Now, whenever I hear anyone has plantar fasciitis or back pain, I refer them to that physical therapist who thinks walking right can cure it. There is a trigger in my brain. When I hear of something chronic that has to do with foot or back or hip, I think about the walking guy. So to finish the equation, our multipliers are status level jumps, counterintuitiveness, ease of storytelling, and triggers. This was a lot of things, and I don't think your startup should incorporate all of them. But the idea is to look through and see where you might have some sharing opportunities. Everything is downstream of attention. Before you work on something, make sure your customers will talk about what you're doing to create the top of funnel needed to be successful. Next week, we're going to walk through two examples with this equation. 
We're going to see if a fake plant startup is primed for organic growth, and we're going to check in on the organic growth potential of the chronic pain startup. I'm running tests this week on each. And go watch Jury Duty. It's not great, but I bet you'll talk about it anyway. This was the Idea to Startup podcast brought to you by Tacklebox. If you have a startup idea and a full-time job, apply at GetTacklebox.com. We'll respond in 72 hours and could be working on your idea by the weekend. Have a great week. 